Welcome back for the eighth installment of our Extra Lore series, recorded live on November 1st, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. Our topic for this chat is an exploration of the Bioshock series. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the man who it has been said has the voice of a flower, Justin Sane 0516. Justin, what are your thoughts on the topic tonight? I'm shocked. I, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah, really cool game. Never got the never got the chance to to actually play it. It's actually been ch- thinking about picking up the collection. Um, so maybe this will be the uh, the tipping point I've been looking for. I think you. Yeah, I think we. I think we might be might might prove a reason to get it. We also have with us a lady who makes even something as crazy as fabric theory sound amazingly awesome, Mel. Mel, I assume you have a few thoughts on the styles that are seen in this series? Uh, yeah. Do we want to talk about this now? I feel like this is getting, it's going to get heavy. Yeah. Like, well, if I start well, talking oh, about oh, fabric have, now, have, like, you can't start me off yeah, with no, fabric. No, like, no, no. We, we have an entire section <laughs> I have an entire section in the notes pinned off. This is highlighted Mel's fabric theory. I, I see it. I so. see it. But actually, I love Bioshock. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the first game. Um, the second game wasn't my all-time favorite, but um, the third one, Infinite, I did like. So I'm really excited to be diving into this. Um, I have I haven't in a while, but um, I remember I did dive a little bit into this lore, so I'm excited to kind of go over this. And hopefully we won't spoil too much for Justin. Hopefully yeah. I, I won't remember it. Yeah, I'll be okay. I wasn't. I <laughs> wasn't going to say much? that. Oh, I wasn't going to say that. But since Justin did mention, I don't think he'll remember it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we're also joined by our favorite mythographer in training, Demigod two five one two five seven. Sorry, I always mess up numbers. Demigod, you ready to dive into this multiverse <laughs> with us? Um. Yeah. Sure. I. Uh... It's going to hurt, but yeah, I'm all, I'm, I'm all down. I'm all down. Okay. I, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been a while since you've jumped on. Um, can you remind everybody where can we find you? And actually what got you into Bioshock? Cause I know you kind of are our resident expert. Um, okay. So, well, first off, you guys can find me on Twitter at Dr. Lore Josh. Um, you could also check out my YouTube channel. Not anything special at all, but uh, that's youtube.com slash Dr. Stun Josh. Um, see the similarities there. Um, <laughs> Bioshock, I I don't really know what got me into it. Um, I had a friend of mine back when Bioshock Infinite came out uh, who said, Hey, I know, you're in, I know that you enjoy these uh, nice heavy story-based games. Um, if you haven't played it yet, try out the Bioshock series. Bioshock Infinite's coming out, and with the disc actually came the original Bioshock. So I that was back in what 2013 or something like it was the same year that The Last of Us and Tomb Raider came out, and I kind of played all three of those games at the same time. Uh absolutely loved Bioshock Infinite. Uh immediately went to download the first game and start playing it. Uh, fell in love with that one, played Bioshock 2, and after that I was always kind of hoping that they'd go back and make a Bioshock 3. Um, but alas, you know, Irrational Games, uh, the company kind of disbanded, so, you know, I've been uh, 
I've been in Stillwater up until the collection came out. So. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, because I know Irrational kind of gave 2K back the full ownership, right? If I remember that correctly. Yeah, they... uh, I, and I guess this might this might be a reason why most people, uh, Mel included, might not have liked the second game. But the second game actually wasn't developed by Irrational Games. It was uh, it was Two K and whoever they had made the game. Um, so it's it, it's yeah. one of those things, uh, not unlike Arkham Origins, I believe, for the Batman series, where you know they didn't have the original uh, development team. Uh, yeah, for I that think, game, and right, right. people felt that you know it kind of flopped in terms of story and content. Because that was, I think, Two K Boston was irrational, and then Two K Marin was the one with Bioshock Two. I have on the yeah, notes. I I think that was it. So okay, well that's that's cool. Like I said, we're gonna try to get Justin a reason to uh, to get back into it or to get into the game series. So we'll see what we can do. Um, well, before we start the chat, however, I do have a few housekeeping notes. In our last Exolore episode, we discussed the world of Assassin's Creed. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing as well. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. With the Extra Lore series, we delve into a game series other than Destiny for a full month, giving giving the group a chance to get a feel for the other games that our community loves to play. We do try to stream a recap of this month-long conversation in the first week of each month, or according to Justin, the first Tuesday of each month, apparently. Please be sure to also give us some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network found at theguardiansofdestiny.com. These include Guardian Radio, the official podcast for the Guardians of Destiny, Guardian 1, and Ghosts and Echoes, which also has the Destiny audio grimoire. Our next Extra Lore is going to be a discussion on the Borderland games, so be sure to jump into Discord server and weigh in on those. Um, with that, Demigod, would you would you kindly start us off with a general summary on the information <laughs> that we have about the world of Bioshock? Um, all right, so Bioshock is a multi-universe game. Uh, the setting seems to focus around a certain location that is usually known as the Lighthouse, and the mantra of the game is one man, one city, one lighthouse. Um, there's always a man, there's always a city, there's always a lighthouse. And they seem to take place in, and I'm, I always feel like I'm, I'm misusing this term when I say it, but it seems to take place in a sort of steampunkish uh, alternate reality of the early 20th century. So you have... Uh, amazing developments in science that even today we still don't have um, ideologies have shifted or because of the time period that they're in, they're even uh, they're even more prominent than they might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you, as you play the series, you, you start to believe that as the player and as the person who is uh conducting all these actions you tend to believe that there 
that that there's a matter of choice mm-hmm. and what really what it really comes down to in my belief is there are some choices that will always lead to x result and there are choices that will always lead to y result so you don't really have a choice in what you do because the outcome is already set from the moment you pick it. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a uh, it's similar to a theory called the illusion of choice. Like you you think you have a choice and you are. I mean, uh, I would describe it as the way that most people deal with a toddler because I have a three year old and I totally understand this because I give him a choice. Do you want to brush your teeth or read a book? You know, you, so you have a choice, but you, you don't have a choice. Like you have a choice on which you're going to do, but you don't have a choice as far as the ultimate outcome. Yeah. And, uh, especially when it comes to the first game, uh, the whole, uh, a lot of the first game deals with the idea of freedom. Um, and you're right. It is, it is very much an illusion to some degree. I'm, uh, for the character of Jack, it is uh, because none of his choices were his own. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a it, it's really a heavy game in terms of story, in terms of uh, what it makes you think about what is right and what is wrong, what freedom and liberty is, and just a fantastic series overall. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, I think, just trying to think about it right now is like over. Yeah, it's it can it can like always it 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 really is. And I think the other thing is is like when you back when we back up and we look at it it's like, oh yeah, we're going to go, you know, like the first game. First game is takes place in Rapture, which is the underwater city. Um a good kind of a good thing to note is these games if you play them one, two, and then infinite, you're going to notice, especially with infinite, that the timeline doesn't follow. Uh, there, this is not a chronological story. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. follow chronologically. Um, the reason why I say that is the first game, Bioshock, is set in 1960. Bioshock Two is set in 1968, and then Bioshock Infinite is actually set in 1912. Um, and then there's a DLC for Bioshock Infinite that's very, very important that we will talk about that. That's the Burial at Sea <laughs> DLC. And that actually takes place in 1958. And that, that DLC is actually where a lot of, I think, I think, and Demi got to correct me here, but I think that's going to be the basis of a lot of our conversation because that kind of confirms the multiverse parallel universe theory that a lot of people already had. It, it basically officially confirms it and kind of it, it's the it's uh, irrational games really kind of their epilogue for the series. And they're kind of they're closing the book and being like, OK, we're done. It's you know, this is the last piece for us. And this is all this ties everything up and we're moving on. Um, but to take a step back to kind of give an introduction, I mean, to the 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 first game. Bioshock takes place in a underwater city called Rapture, uh, basically. And, you know, and I, I agree completely. I, I've always kind of viewed it as a steampunk-esque type of game. Uh, it's very, very heavily. I mean, the cover, the cover of Bioshock with the big daddy, uh, which is the giant submarine guy with the giant drill hand. Um, 
those guys are terrifying by the way. Uh, but like <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it, it is a very, I, I, I guess that's all to say. I really do agree with the steampunk. Um, it does borrow some from like a survival horror genre, uh, because there's, there's a lot of, um, options as far as how you play through the game uh there you know bioshock was one of the, one of the earlier games at least that i remember that really really relied on the idea of moral choices uh especially within the game they introduce characters such as the um little sisters uh and it was very it was a very big deal because you you basically get to choose whether or not to kill or to save these sisters um, and the reason why you do this is there is a a genetic material called atom, which basically is used to superpower or to grant superhuman abilities. And there's um, and so the way you you can the one of the ways you can obtain atom is by killing the sisters. And so every time you encounter a little sister who's usually protected by a big daddy, uh, you know they're kind of part and parcel, which is important to remember because that's another parallel, you know, uh, Demigato was talking about the parallels. That's, that is another big parallel that we're going to talk about. Um, but the, one of the things in the Bioshock game that was introduced really was every time you run into the little sister, you get given a choice. Do you kill the little sister and harvest the atom, or do you let her go and let her survive and save her basically? And well, you, you don't really let her, you save, like, I guess you purge if I remember right. Isn't there like a don't you like don't so like, what what it is is you're actually extract you're you're safely extracting right, the atom okay. but you from the little sister's body but you don't get as we much don't get as much right okay yeah. so no, it's a matter yeah. of, it's if a matter of harvest them, yes okay but but if you do that enough don't they leave you a little teddy bear yeah and well and that's the other thing and that that's what i mean is like so there's consequences for your choices in Bioshock and, and actually for throughout the series, this was a, this was a very big, um, very big theme. Um, you know, they, they based a lot of the concept around like the Ayn Rand, uh, objectivisms. And then, you know, definitely there's definitely Orwin Orwellism, um, especially in infinity. Oh my God, there was so much, but, um, but that was that was what I was going to get to is the the consequences, you know, especially with Bioshock. I've only played Bioshock through fully. I I tried Bioshock two, and it actually kind of soured my taste for the the series. And I never I I picked up Infinite, but by the time I picked up Infinite, I already had an Xbox One, and so it it wasn't backwards compatible. And so I didn't really give it a. I it was just like I don't really want to go play it. Um because of my my problem with Bioshock 2. So I I definitely wish I had played Bioshock Infinite especially doing, you know, research for this with the DLC. Uh we were kind of mm-hmm. talking about that before show with uh Demigod. I was like, "Yeah, I'm kicking myself for not playing this." But Bioshock the um the ending was actually determined based on your interaction with the sisters. There are three endings. Technically, there are two, but there's there's I mean, technically, there's three, but there really are two. Uh, so what happens is if you if you save all the sisters, the game ends one way. I, I don't do we want to talk about the ending? Is that is the ending? I, 
was I, I was don't, ask, I don't like, think the ending really matters. Okay, okay. So yeah. let me let me just let me it's just like say this. Easter egg. Um the ending it it happens one way if you save all the sisters. If you kill all the if you if you kill all the sisters, it happens another way. And then if you only kill some of the sisters, like if you if you have like a mix, it it ends the same way as if you kill with a nuanced difference. Like there there is a quote difference, but it technically ends the same. Yeah, that uh the middle road in terms of the end game is actually a little bit clearer if you play Bioshock 2. Um just because of how it ends, you know, you you save all the little sisters, you have one ending, you kill them, you have another ending. But the middle road, the the dialogue that takes place between uh and this is not to jump so far ahead, but dialogue that takes place between uh Eleanor and uh Delta is Oh, okay. It's a little bit easier to understand what it meant to have that balance of killing and saving, or that's not a good way to say it, but there, there is yeah. a, there is a better way to understand what the middle road is. Yeah. Whereas in Bioshock one, it, it doesn't really make sense. You feel like you're still doing something wrong, wholly immoral. <laughs> <laughs> and and just, so- just to completely amend what I said at the beginning of, of this, the, this, the Bioshock series is really a game uh, uh, concerning itself with humanity morality and the false hope of utopia which yes is not yes possible, i ever. will <laughs> i i will 100% i think that's the orwellism you know i you know 1984 is yep. what i i constantly thought of especially i mean again especially in infinite and because like by the time you get to rapture in bioshock again speaking just from my experience, by the time you get i mean it's already fallen Right. It's it's already gone through the whole yes. uh, civil war, I think is what it is called. Yeah. Uh, basically, the is the splicers, I think, are the ones that are like the crazy guys. They yeah. they basically control everything uh, or well, they don't control because they're absolutely yeah. <laughs> insane. But they they are the only ones left because all the same people have been killed. And, you know, and so or well, most of them have been and the ones that haven't are, you know, protecting themselves and not wanting anything to do. And so, like, you see you see the the negative consequence uh, of of the attempt at a utopia in the first one in the second one it was kind of just a continuation of that that dystopian fall and then in infinite i got and like i played the first i think i got through getting like one or two of the powers and so i didn't i didn't get enough to get like okay i know what's really going on here but like the feeling I got was kind of you were you were actually you were getting put into a utopian society right at the brink of that civil war, um, and I'm definitely on thin ice as far as my understanding of infinite there. But that was the feeling that I got at the beginning of the game. Um, but I guess let's you know let's talk about Bioshock Two really briefly, just as a as a summary. Do you want to? Demigod, do you want to take over for that one? Or? Uh, no, yeah. So Bioshock 2 takes place eight years after the first game. And the one would think that the ending of the first game actually matters to Bioshock 2. Um, uh-huh. And it, it really doesn't because whatever 
theoretically, whatever choices that Jack had made in the first game are still going to lead to the story of the second game. Uh, and in that game, you have uh, Sophia Lamb, who was a psychiatrist who is working under Andrew Ryan, the founder of the city. Uh, and she's now trying to create a utopian person, if that's possible. Uh, she has found that there are properties of Adam that allow memories um, on top of genetics to be transferred from one being to another. And so she has this, uh, what is it, co- collectivist idea of oh yes having of having her daughter be this uh, idyllic figure in society, and she believes that by having this one person who is omniscient, omnipotent, that really society will fall in line, and her daughter will be able to lead people to glory or to to this idea of utopia that she has. I mean, it's, it's very, it's a stark contrast to what Andrew Ryan believed where, you know, everything was, um, all the potential and all the possibilities for a better future are all within the individual. Uh, and Sophia Lamb just has this idea that everybody has great ideas, but put them all into one person and we might actually be able to do something instead of having one person do their job and one person do another thing. And it, in both respects, it gets all messy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the basic overview. Um, by the time you start playing Bioshock 2, um, Rapture's gone even more to hell than it's already been because of the yeah. events that took place in the first game. Um, Gameplay-wise, I think it's actually a little bit more fun because you're playing as a big daddy, which... You know, when you play the first game, every time you hear a whale noise, you start having a heart attack. <laughs> and I don't know about so you guys, true. but I, I I work in a museum where we have a hall of ocean life and oh, all I hear no. are whale noises. And, you know, I mm. still get panic attacks when I'm walking through there. So that's very specific. Oh, no, no. It, it makes sound perfect is sense. It is. Yeah. No, no. It's a yeah. No, please, Justin, play the game. <laughs> and when you hear when you hear a whale noise, and I then want get you to a start... job at a museum. <laughs> Justin, if you come to New York City, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a personal tour. Nice. <laughs> I got family there. Uh, he's already like okay. Next planning week, it out. Next week, I have two days that I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I, I think gameplay wise, it's it's a lot more fun. You know, you can play as a big daddy. You don't you don't feel so uh, uh like squishy. Uh, you don't feel so squishy. <laughs> <laughs> no, my nice. my thing my thing with Bioshock Two was more I- exactly kind of what you were saying is like I played it right on the tail end of Bioshock, and it was just kind of like I was like, wait, hang on, what? Like I I you know what's going on, but it's kind of a like a jarring disconnect at least it was for me yes from the first to the second because i was like wait Mm -hmm. hang on i thought we i thought we fixed like you know in game i was like i thought we fixed all this why are you why are you doing this again like are you stupid like so for me and when i played too it felt like a game company was reaching to make a predecessor for a game that was very successful. It didn't felt like it had the same type of um, vibe and fluidity that the first game had. It, it just felt like it was kind of like tacked on. Um, 
onto the second, like the, onto the first game. Well, like the first game felt like there was a very clear direction and where they wanted to go where the second one was just kind of like, yeah, let's, 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 let's play and play as a big daddy. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, how are we going to make them do that? Well, we'll think of something. Um, that's how I felt about the second one. Um, but then I don't know. Do you feel the same way, Demi, or do you really like the second one? Well, when I so again, I I started playing the game series with a friend who had already played it. So he said, you know, he's like Bioshock Two is kind of underrated between the three of them, but it's not bad. When I played it, uh, I felt like I when I played Bioshock One, I was at one end of the spectrum, and when I played Bioshock Two, I was at the other end. All they did was like flip the scenarios. So that was. Uh, I kind of went about it just playing it and not really appreciating what it was. And I think a lot of the disconnect comes in the fact that you have, uh, you have the recordings, which, you know, Bungie should try and use for grimoire, but you have the recordings where you don't actually understand what's happening or you don't understand why you are doing what you're doing throughout the story until you start listening to the recordings. Cause that's how a lot of the lore and uh, a lot of the story for pretty much all three games, you know, um, that's how you have access to it. So actually, as I was doing the summaries for this, I started appreciating it a little bit more because I was remembering things, um, remembering how certain events took place, but on my initial playthrough, I thought it was very bare bones. I enjoyed it. I liked the, you know, I liked the new mechanics. I hated the big sisters, but as a whole, I it was a it was an okay game. It was it was not nearly as uh, as enjoyable as I found Bioshock One, uh, and I Bioshock Infinite's one of my top five favorite games. So it's the it's the uh, the worst of the three of them, mm-hmm. but it's it really takes playing all three games because you kind of it, I mean especially after Burial at Sea everything makes a little bit more sense. So right, right. well, and I think you know talking about that that jar uh, <clears throat> that jarring sensation. I think you know we we were kind of we did already kind of mention this is Bioshock Two was actually developed by a different company. Like Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite were by um, Irrational Games, whereas Bioshock Two was Two K Marin. Uh, Irrational Games was also it used to be Two K. Like all of these used to be under the Two K umbrella, basically. Two uh, K Boston, I think, was the former name. Hang on, let me make sure I'm saying that correctly. I think that's accurate. Yeah, Two K Boston became Irrational Games, um, and they teamed up with Two K Australia. So these were basically two segments underneath 2k games and that was bioshock and then bioshock 2 came out and it was a completely basically different studio i mean it 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 wasn't but it was you know kind of like ubisoft montreal and what is it ubisoft paris um you know there were there were different studios and so like this is it's a different style and i think that that kind of actually speaks to where my disconnect you know just as a game player was from and then, like when I was playing Bioshock, it was definitely when I when I played the first couple, you know, parts. I was like, "Oh, this is this is the game I remember." Like, you know, the this I guess I don't know, like the smoothness of the integration of the story, and the, I, I don't I don't know how to describe that. I, I don't really know what I'm trying to describe. It's just like that unconscious. This feels right thing. Um, it definitely existed with Infinite and Bioshock, 
but didn't exist with two. And I think, I mean, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, no, no. I, I kind of think of Bioshock, Bioshock two for me is less a sequel and more of an expansion of the story of Rapture. It's not, it's not really a continuation, but it adds to the lore and the mythology of the entire Bioshock universe specifically in regards to rapture itself because i i like a lot of what it did with the big daddies and little sisters mm. telling uh going to more depth of their stories uh especially for subject delta uh, in a game where it's really hard to see a character is human they really humanize the big daddies because even I I mean there's there's a severe lack of humanity between all three games. Yeah. From well, yeah, and that's yeah, from from the the mechanical and the craze to you know the quite human. So I think it did well. Um and I think it, I think in terms of gameplay wise, I think it kind of advanced the gameplay, but yeah, there is a there's something that is lackluster about uh, the integration between the game and the story itself, and then trying to connect that to Bioshock One, right? And I and I mean, I definitely agree with you that it's the the lesser of the three, which by no means means that it's a lesser game. Uh, it's still a a very good game, but when you hold it to the bar, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. When you hold it to the bar, that for me, Bioshock and Infinite set. Bioshock 2 was, you know, below that. But uh, Mel, I know you wanted to. Um, I, now that I'm, th- I'm thinking about it and trying to, like, recall my, because I played them not too long after they came out. So this is quite a bit ago. Um, but I think with, with the first Bioshock, you you went into this this scenario and you weren't really sure what's going on. And, and not like saying you don't know what's going on, too, but like rapture was new um you found uh, you uncovered side this type of mystery to it and and you were discovering all these secrets and things about it and i feel like infinite had the same type of uh magical mysteriousness about it like you knew it was a bioshock game so you kind of knew in what general direction they're probably going to go but like you you are going into this world you're you're existing in this new area where it was you have no idea what's going on. Whereas Bioshock 2, as much as I love Rapture, um, I definitely felt that it um, wasn't it wasn't fresh as much to me. Like I felt like they could have done a lot more with two than than what they did. Like I'm like, well, this I don't know. I, I, it really felt like they they phoned it in on two, um, and I don't know. Like there's just I I wanted to like two. And I really liked being back in Rapture because I love Rapture. I really love the concept and everything about Rapture, what they did. But um, I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. It feels more like a DLC than a full-on game, if that makes sense. Whereas like the DLC from Infinite DLC felt like more like an actual continuation of the game than what Bioshock 2 gave me. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Um, but that's how I kind of perceive it as from uh the prism of looking at it from as mm-hmm. a player no and i mean i guess I, I think that that really does you know explain what i that is similar to what i'm feeling too so um yes continue with the summary 
<laughs> before we <laughs> before we tear it apart anymore. Okay, so are we on to you wanna, did we let's see. So plot on Bioshock two, you play a big daddy, I i.e. Delta, subject Delta. You get introduced to a little sister. We already talked about that. Um do 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 again the ending looks like it depends on your choices yeah but i think the ending the ending like i said the middle road for the endings is is a bit more understandable to tell the difference but the endings are actually pretty much the same um when you have the ending for bioshock 1 you have you have jack bringing the little sisters to the surface world and essentially Spoiler alert. Well. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I, it's fine. It's I fine. I was wondering, are, are we gonna nice. should we just like forever from this point on just say spoiler? Because I feel like we can't really. Yeah, just, I mean, nah, especially nah, you can't do this and not spoil things. Especially with I think two. Well, I don't know. The ending for two seems like it has a little bit more impact. <laughs> Does it? Well, uh, I well. Here's the thing. Does it? That is the question, right? Because in oh, Bioshock it's, One, it's, the, the, it's ending, the last one. I got. Oh, okay. Yeah. The in Bioshock One, you either have Jack having a full life with now you could say his adoptive daughters, um, or you have him taking control of Rapture and preparing an assault against the surface world. Oh God! And that never ends well. <laughs> Because doesn't he get? I think that one you get bombed, don't you? Eventually, I I Hang think on. it's that he he like steals yeah. he steals missiles from a submarine or something like that. Yeah, they. <laughs> I, I want to say they get onto a submarine and, and the splicers. So come out yeah, so course. like the good if you're if you're a super duper <laughs> angel, the ending is. You take you take five little sisters up to the surface, and you know you get to you get to live out your life, you know, singing kumbaya and all that fun stuff. And then if you killed everybody, you uh, the ending is basically Jack goes into megalomaniac mode and tries to take on everybody. I'm trying to find where my notes talked about this, but oh yeah, here we go. Uh, he turns. He turns on the little sister and harv- basically harvests all their atoms. Well, because you've harvested all their atoms, um, mm-hmm. and then Tenenbaum, who is narrating this entire thing, this is the major difference. Uh, if you saved everyone, she's very happy as she narrates and talks about how they go on and live full lives, and you know, and then eventually, you know, he eventually Jack dies, and they, you know, go on and live peacefully, and blah blah blah. If you killed everyone, she narrates the entire downfall and basically condemns Jack and everything that he does, <laughs> like and condemns everything and is like, no. Um, and then, yeah, then they. They he, oh geez, and it just gets really messy. And then if you kill more than one little sister, but don't kill them all. The second ending, he still take he still like goes on to take on the world with the stolen nuclear missiles, but Tenenbaum's narration is just kind of like sad. It's not angry. Angry. And that's really, really the big difference. So 
Um, and then Bioshock 2, it, it's similar thing, except reversed, right? Because Eleanor, the little sister, is the one that, like, your choices are Eleanor will kill Delta and take his atom and then, like, go and try to well, I you think, know, become I, world I think she kills him. I think she kills him no matter what. Well, he I, dies. He but dies in no one, in one, yeah, in in one reality, it's uh, she takes his atom uh, in remembrance of him to do something good in the world, and okay. then the other, she she sort of has this dialogue where she says, "I've learned from what you've done, right. and so I will act upon that." So if you've killed all the little sisters, you have now, you know, you you've created a <laughs> you've created your own monster <laughs> right yeah and i mean again consequence of your choices and and i think with bioshock 2 the way i read it you know the way that i'm reading the summary here is the sense that i get is that eleanor really is presented as a child you know you, in the sense that she follows your example if you kill everyone and when she inherits this giant amount of power you know she's going to do what she's been exposed to so if you kill everyone she's gonna go kill everyone if you don't kill everyone she's gonna go and not you know like it's it's uh it's not just a consequence for your character but it's a consequence for the world quote around that the world in which those characters exist so and then that brings us to bioshock infinite which Requires us to jump back, what, 50 years? 48 years? From Bioshock, Bioshock. 1? Oh, That's no, like yeah. 50 something years? 50, yeah, because it's 50. What is it, 1912? 1912 to 1959. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, Bioshock, and this is what I was saying is Bioshock Infinite takes place chronologically before all the others, which is. It's becoming a common thing in games, but it was it was not a common thing from what I remember when I first was like I was like, wait, what's going on? So um Demi, you wanna give us a quick introduction to Infinite? Um so Infinite you have well, very much the opposite. Uh where in Rapture you had a world that was or you had a city that was um uh, where science and art was unencumbered, now you have a city where uh, religion is the complete and absolute force that runs uh, the city of Columbia, which is a city in the sky. And as Booker DeWitt, you find yourself trying to settle a debt to this unknown person by essentially kidnapping a girl uh, from her tower and bringing her back to wherever she needs to go. Uh, that's a really that is the easiest way to summarize that because everything else after this point is going to be so yeah. difficult basically it's mario it's mario and and the princess was in the tower but it the princess is she's in the tower and she's not going to move from the tower you get her. So, the problem after that is keeping her with you oh i can't oh god that just brings to mind horrible Resident Evil games with NPCs. Oh God! Uh, actually, unlike the Resident Evil games, where like actually did nothing for you, Elizabeth you actually 
Yeah, except for Yale, Elizabeth was actually very useful, and I did not mind her having her when I was playing. Like, she would often be like, hey, Booker, and then, like, throw me exactly what I hey, needed. Booker, catch! I'm like, oh my god, thank you, Elizabeth, you're an angel. <laughs> <laughs> she even she even pays you just for walking down the street. That's great. <laughs> yeah, she gave me money and ammo and all the other stuff that I needed, which I don't know how much we wanted. We'll go ahead and talk about all this. It, it was bad. I played I played Infinite first out of all three games when <gasps> i played bioshock one i was like where's my companion this is... oh man see am I'm i the only one who's played them like in <laughs> order of release i Are you? wow little, little girl you look like my you look like a younger version of my oh god no <laughs> yeah no just <laughs> it's a mistake those, those whale noises <laughs> Well, and okay, so that that I guess yeah, let's let's open up the Pandora's box a little bit here. Because with Oh boy. <laughs> well, I mean, with with Infinite, what it, what they do is you start getting the sense of like, okay, what in the hell is going on with like not not like within the individual games, but within like the series because it doesn't make any sense because when you're in Rapture, you don't hear about Columbia when you're in Columbia, you don't hear about Rapture early, you know, like you don't you and you would think with, you know, something as big as, I don't know, a city that flies, you would hear about it or, you know, a, an entire city underneath the ocean. The, the one or the other would hear about it. And this is where it gets really, really fun, because during this entire conflict in Infinite, Booker, the main your your main character, learns that Elizabeth possesses this really cool ability to manipulate something called tears. Basically, she can create holes in the space-time continuum. Yay! Because that never, never makes things simple. So you Hold on to that. your seats, boys and girls. Yeah. It's gonna Bioshock, get <laughs> Bioshock exists in a universe that is a literally it, it is modeled off parallel universe models. Like it is basically the understanding of Bioshock as a series is that it exists in a multiverse. And that, you know, for a game that is based entirely really heavily you know it's always emphasizing this aspect of choice that's really funny to me because the entire point of a multiverse is that it doesn't matter what choice you make it's you've made all choices like every there there's there's a um and Demi got sent me a message before we did this, and he's like, "You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to get ready for multiverse explanations." Um, so there's there's a, and there are there are people much more intelligent than myself who can probably explain this much better and in a lot longer. So I'm gonna just be really simple. And basically, every reality in a multiverse model. Every reality, uh, multiverse is a another word for a parallel universe um, theory, uh, which is <laughs> sorry. Yes, <laughs> Earth one and Earth two. That's exactly sorry. Divigan City uh, images. Um, so, a parallel universe is a hypothetical, self-contained reality that basically coexists with our own. I. Uh, 
there are different types of parallel universes, but the most common one is usually a multiverse um, in science fiction. Uh, you also, like, technically speaking, you can also have, like, hyperspace, you can have time travel, you know, alternate history. You have things like the uh, DC's world, which has Earth 1, Earth 2, all you know, all those. Um, comic books are really, you know, that's kind of how they explain retcons a lot of times is, oh, this is Earth 1, or, you know, this is the Amazing Spider-Man, or the, you know... Uh, ultimate spite. You know, those are all different things. Yeah, mage in chat, fringe, huge parallel universe. There, there was only two in that one. In Bioshock, it kind of seems like there's actually a. It it seems like a more pure form of a multiverse. In which I'm, which what I mean by that is, every reality has certain constants, but it also has certain variables. And this kind of goes back to that quote that you know Demi was talking at the beginning there is always a man always a city and always a lighthouse so those are your constants they have a man a city and a lighthouse the variables are names places that like geographical places you know columbia is in the sky rapture is under the water uh and your main characters are jack and booker you have little sisters and elizabeth you have big daddies you have a character named songbird in infinite um there's plasmids and vigors uh they're the main characters are andrew ryan or the main bad guys quote is andrew ryan and then an individual who goes by the name of zachary comstock um you know frank fontaine daisy fitzroy you have dr is it sushong and jeremiah fink um yeah. these these are all these are all parallels of each other but they and they all exist at the same time. And there's a really uh, uh, Paul Tassi over at Forbes really did actually a very decent job of summarizing this um, entire thing with an article that he has called the one twist in Bioshock Infinite you might have missed completely. And I'll, I'm going to link this in the show notes because it's a very good it's a very good article. It's It's actually pretty short, too. But he makes the point also that, you know, when you look at it. Um, and he, he has the pictures. I can't, you know, obviously a podcast, I can't show you, but he has a picture of a little sister and the picture of Elizabeth. And if you hold them side by side, it's very evident that these are parallels of each other. Um, the dress style is very, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into Mel's topic, <laughs> but the dressing style, the color coordination, you know, it, it is very, 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 very similar. Um, and so there's there's a common theory, I guess, with multiverses that basically the creation of a multiverse is whenever you make a choice, you know, which, again, ironic, a little bit interesting with Bioshock because the entire series is based around choices. But anytime you make a choice, technically speaking, in this theory it creates a splinter off. Yeah. Fabric theory. Um, it, it creates a splinter off. And so every time, so like if I'm going to have, am I going to have coffee or a soda, you know, something as trivial as that you, you have an infinite expanding number of parallel universes, all of which exist where they all have the same constants and the same variable, not the same variables, but you have same constants and each one of these choices creates, you know, just infinitely, it just it continuously expands. Um, and that's the universe in which Bioshock exists. 
And the reason we know this is actually the DLC for Bioshock Infinite, which was Burial at Sea. And this was a very important and very important DLC because what it did was it introduced the characters from Infinite, but it introduced them as completely different characters. So they, they were the same characters, but they were different people. Um, so like uh, episode one, you know, again, if you haven't figured it out, spoiler alert, um, episode one of Burial at Sea is you play as Booker. But instead of the guy who's swinging through the skies, he's a private investigator in Rapture, which is kind of a, it kind of makes you go, wait, what? Um, and in throughout, throughout the, throughout the episode, you encounter Elizabeth who is looking for a girl named Sally. Um, and that leads to the introduction to basically the introduction. I mean, so through episode one and episode two of Burial at Sea, that leads to the introduction to Bioshock. It is the tie-in from Infinite to Bioshock and really Bioshock 2 as well. But throughout episode one, you you basically start also getting confirmation that Booker is Comstock. So he becomes his own worst enemy in a different universe, basically. There's a lot of problems with this because there's, I, I, if I remember, I was reading some of the critiques to this entire theory. I guess there's, there's a few points at which people who should recognize him don't recognize him in game. Like, I guess there's a few notable NPCs that are like, they're like, oh, who are you? You're Booker. But if Booker was a younger version of Comstock, I, there's, oh, God, my head hurts. Well, yeah, yeah. But, and so, I guess, I, no, go for it, go for it. No, I thought, I just, just reading through the story, I thought, I thought it was the other way around. I thought, did, did you, didn't you say that uh, Comstock became Booker? No, Booker became Comstock. All right. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the way I read it. Yeah, too. so he Sorry. he basically he <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, I'm going to hurt I'm going to hurt Justin's mind in a second. But keep going. <laughs> but, so as you were. So okay, so b- episode 1 of Burial at Sea basically ends with Booker realizing so like in one of these parallel universes. <laughs> so one one of these things, Booker becomes Comstock and he goes to steal Anna, who is Elizabeth, by the way. So, you know, okay, so Booker is Comstock. He is going to steal Anna as a baby from an alternate version of himself. But in this universe, he doesn't manage to steal Anna fully before the portal closes that he's... Imagine Fringe uh, with Walter and... I can't remember the kid's name, but basically imagine the portal closing on his son and killing him. Um, instead of him actually stealing him fully. So I just spoiled two things for everyone. Congratulations. Um, Thanks. I've never seen Fringe. Oh my gosh. What? How did you? Oh my gosh. You need to fix that immediately. Neither, but, neither have I. Oh my. So. I'm done. Neither, neither, I'm have, done. neither have most people. Oh my God. <laughs> have you seen? Okay. Here, here's the deciding factor whether or not I hang up this call. Have you seen Firefly? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I used to catch him oh, in I know, jars. I know you have, Justin. Yard. Shut up. Josh. Well, I guess I'm not coming back for another oh, guest. You, oh, you, you, you need to come. You, oh, gosh. Okay. Anyways. D, D friend. 
just unfriended Peter. You. Peter, if uh, if Peter died when he was stealing him, like that's that's thank you, Mage. Um, that's what basically happened. And Comstock is so like traumatized by this that he basically wipes his own memories and goes to another, a third dimension where Columbia doesn't exist and then takes on the identity of Booker within rat. So he, he is Booker. He becomes Comstock. He tries to steal from another Booker that gets screwed up. So then he goes to another dimension and becomes Booker again. That's episode one. Can episode- I, can I yeah, go critique for this real quick? Yeah. This storytelling is rude. Rude? <laughs> it's rude. <laughs> yeah, well, Comstock is that kind is of a, a lot. Yeah, no, I, it's like, oh my <laughs> God. And, but like, I mean, the thing is, is like, and so. That is a lot. Episode a two. Lot. Remember, episode one is just like three hours long, by the way. Yeah. Oh, that's it's what, very short, and there's a lot of content in three hours. Oh my gosh. My... If you play episode two, episode two, I believe, is about six or seven hours if you really like make sure you do everything before the end of the game. And it doesn't really help you feel any better. <laughs> <laughs> I think I spent a lot more. I spent a lot more time trying to figure out how the ending of that justified everything I had just played and will play if I was going to replay Bioshock One. Then, and I just it hurt. (laughs) It it seems that way. And I also realized that the ending of burial at c2 is just another reality that doesn't even it, count that, yeah it, it, it's not it's not even the direct prologue to bioshock one it is it is the prologue to one of the endings of bioshock one yes yes and that and that's where that's where the multiverse model starts like really like fraying at the edges is because you start realizing that every Every time you make a choice in this game, technically speaking, you're creating another dimension. Like that's why within the game, you can technically go back and play it, and you're actually still in the same game. You're just experiencing a different dimension. So, example in the middle of Bioshock Infinite, uh, Booker and Elizabeth open a tear to a different reality to find. uh, I forget what the character's name is, but they're finding a gunsmith who in one reality is dead, or in the main reality that you start the game in, they jump to a different reality where he might be alive. (laughs) And then from there, you're actually trying to figure out what happened to the first... Now they're gone, so what is going on there? That that, that, that point in Infinite, the very first time you do that, you're like, wait... You don't really pay attention to it? (laughs) Yeah, because it's such... I don't know. Like I remember that being a, a like a, a very t- big turning point in the game, but it story wise and how heavy that that action was by Elizabeth was kind of glossed over, and you don't understand. Like you didn't really like sink in and towards the end of the game when you start going, wait, 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 what, what? <laughs> because what you have to remember is when she when she opens a tear to that second universe. I believe that's also when the Vox Populi is already at their height and they're already uh, actively attacking Columbia, which, yeah, which is not really, it's, uh, it's very low key in the first reality that you start in because Davy Fitzroy is on the run somewhere. 
So you not only jump into a different reality, but it almost seems like you're time skipping as well. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. only the only understanding you get from that is, I believe Mr. Chang's wife uh, in the first reality is Asian, and in the second reality she's a white woman. Which is, when you walk by it, I think one of one of the two characters mentions it, but then after that it's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, we'll just keep going, hope we find them. <laughs> And it's like, and so the other, the other problem with parallel universes and time travel in general is basically called, it's, it's basically the grandfather problem issue or the grandfather effect. Um, paradox. Yeah. Is it, is it the grandfather paradox or grandfather? I yeah, that's remember. what it's yeah, called. Yeah. Okay. Basically the, the only way that you can get around this paradox is if you understand the events of what is happening as being simultaneous. So like, because there are points in the Bioshock game in the lore in which Elizabeth, who has the capability to create tears in the time space continuum, not just space time space continuum, um, actually goes back and changes things that would negate events from happening. Um, now, you can get around this by explaining it being, oh, that's just a different dimension. But then you get into the problem of like in your home, like let's just call it, you know, let's call the dimension you are born in your home dimension. In your home dimension, then technically speaking, nothing's ever changed. It's still rolling down the hill the way it's going to roll down the hill. You can't actually change it. If every it's it's a it's a infinite loop of a paradox because you either can change something or you can't change anything. You can either change everything or nothing in a multiverse model, depending on the, the nuanced version of the model that you're following. So, yeah, and there's actually a Comstock quote where, and I don't have it in front of me, but where, where he's talking about a, a baptism and he says, uh, for every sinner that's saved, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's another version of him with his sin still intact. Like the guy walks away from the bad, the baptism saved, but in another, you know, timeline or dimension, if you will, there's his unbaptized self still exists. Mm, Yeah. And that's, that's very much a reflection on himself because he knows, he knows who he is and he knows where he came from. And given, given the insight that Comstock has into all of the other universes within the series of Bioshock, he knows that there's another instance of himself that is Zachary Comstock. And he knows that there's another instance of himself that remained Booker DeWitt, who, you know, is still suffering uh, from uh, alcoholism and gambling and all this stuff. So that's, it makes a lot of sense. Um, And I, I like the, I guess now it does make a little bit more sense of things happening simultaneously. Mm. Um, Especially when I think of, Bioshock 2, because in Bioshock 2, you actually have a little bit more choices than you do in Bioshock 1. In Bioshock 1, you only have the choices of uh, killing or saving the little sisters. In Bioshock 2, you actually have the choice of killing and saving some citizens who are significant to the storyline. So one of them is, I believe, Eleanor's babysitter. Um and it's it's just minor choices like that, but it, you know it makes a lot more sense. So in one universe, 
or at the same time, Delta's saving this woman and he's killing her at the same time. Right. right. Well, because there's the other Comstock. I'm trying to find the Comstock quote that I was just thinking of, and it might be it might be the one you're you're thinking of, Justin. But it was do, 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 where to go? Ah, where to go? Uh, it says one man goes into the waters of baptism, a different man comes out born again. But who is that man who lies submerged? Perhaps that swimmer is both a sinner and a saint until he is revealed unto the eyes of man. So, I mean, and again, it's just, it's all about choice in Bioshock. I I just, but at the same time, it doesn't matter, which is infinitely frustrating because it makes me feel like everyone's response to Mass Effect. Yeah. Your choices, your choices matter, your choices matter, your choices matter. The ending of Mass Effect 3 they really don't. That's a Bioware game for you. <laughs> I always kind of wondered if the people who created the Bioshock series made Bioshock the first one and like just had that as a contained story. Because it could totally can stand as its own contained story. You don't have to really go anymore or go into parallel universes. And then when they realized they really couldn't do much more with Rapture besides what they did and like what if we did parallel universes? Like, I always wondered that in my mind because, like, once you play through Infinite and it, after the, the, the lore and the story gets so complex and heavy, and I think it's one of the most complex, heavy type of, of stories I've ever come across in a game. Like, trying to go through all of it, even now, after I've played them multiple times, still makes me so i i sometimes wonder if they if someone just kind of threw that out and they're like yeah let's run with that because sometimes i it feels like that's that was what they decided upon so they can build more quote-unquote bioshock games so (laughs) that seems to be the that seems to be the mo of whoever made uh of the developers international games I've not played System Shock, and I know Bioshock is the spiritual successor of that, and I think System Shock is actually having a remastering last uh, next year. But the the developers from the developers of Bioshock, they had attempted to make a game called The Black Glove, I think it was called, which seemed to have an element of choice and affecting uh, affecting the results of the, or affecting the storyline depending on your choice. And that also, amongst uh, amongst other things, that also seems to be what their newest game seems to be about. We Happy Few that was uh, had a trailer during E3, uh, which I the moment I looked at it, I was like, "This looks just like Bioshock." Same, same, same. (laughs) Um, But even with the little that it showed, it does seem to have that same sort of uh air about it that there is a certain level of player choice and that will affect the storyline now it might not result in a different ending because they might have set endings in mind but the that's i don't believe that that's to take away from the choices that you make as the player it's just to show that there is an inevitability of how things will happen so this all goes back to, you know, us starting uh, this episode, you know, about the illusion of choice. And I think the only character, well, I think the only characters in 
the Bioshock series that do have some kind of choice are Elizabeth and then the Lutest twins who are, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Those, that no, hurts. Those, that those hurts. individuals are, that hurts. And they're so funny and they're so, they're so significant to the entire storyline of Bioshock Infinite, but they are a walking brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, really, really quick. Uh, the Lutus twins are Robert and Rosalind. Um, and basically, they're two individuals who direct Booker to Columbia, and they kind of appear throughout the game. Um, and I think they appear... So, like, I'm just reading basically a basic summary of them. Um, they appear to be near-identical fraternal twins, but it's later revealed that they are the same person from... Two different realities. Uh, and it gets really fun because not only are they different genders, they also have completely different philosophies, moral approaches to Fatalist. everything. <laughs> they're, 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 oh my. So Rosalind is the more technical, I think. No, she's Ros- the fatalist between the two of them. Right. Rosalind's the one that developed the technology to keep Columbia afloat. Yes, and she's also the one who initially made contact with Robert, and then they together they worked out how to create terrors within the dimensions and to communicate and actually cross between dimensions, and then, and then apparently over the over the game, the reason that they're helping Booker is because Comstock actually tried to kill them by. Um, by screwing with one of his uh, or one of their devices, I guess. So while they were traveling, it it missed. Like I don't know. Like it was supposed to kill them, but instead they ended up in like this weird existential state of flux, which means that they can see everything at the same time. And so now they're just like, "Hey, we're gonna be." We're going to be the balancing agents of reality, and we're going to correct all the imbalances without actually manipulating anything. Hence, them helping Booker. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think they have the same uh, all-powerful influence over the realities the same way Elizabeth no, does. Right, but they yeah. do, they do live in all realities except one, and it's the reality that. They were killed. Um, the explosion did technically kill them in that reality. And I think they make a point of saying in Burial at C2 that the reason Elizabeth is without her powers when she returns is because she returned to That's a right. reality in which she was killed. killed. Yeah. So they choose not to return to that reality because, number one uh, – I mean, basically, they love each other. They love being with each other. I mean, God, how more egotistical could you be if you <laughs> love being with the same person? <laughs> but, I mean, the whole the whole reason that uh, Booker even goes to Columbia is because Robert makes the ultimatum that he will willingly leave Rosalind unless she agrees to help him, you know, uh, redeem Booker, essentially. So there is, uh, there is a a single limitation that they have, but they are just completely wildly and unexpected. If you, 
if you play Bioshock Infinite before before really anything exciting happens, before you even get to the the fair, uh, Booker can just walk around Columbia and he can look through one of the scopes and look at uh, Monument Island where they have the big angel statue of Elizabeth. Uh, if you look down, I think you see Robert juggling and Rosalind's just watching him. But when you exit from the scope, they're not there anymore. <laughs> so they really, they're just... Pains of the <laughs> I always feel like they were kind of like the chaos theory throughout the game. Like they were there, yeah. like just, just when you, just you think Jeff, like, Jeff Goldblum in the background from uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was just kind of like they were there, and like once when you think you were figuring things out, they're like, oh no, oh no, sweet child. <laughs> yeah, there's there's one part in the game where uh, I think it's very late in the game, and as Booker and Elizabeth are talking. There's like these different billboards along the uh, the skyline, and they just like keep teleporting between billboards, just doing one thing and another. And it's just like, God, you guys are such assholes. <laughs> just like, just leave. You're not helping me figure out what's going on. But you know, you learn that they're hugely influential, uh, especially in Elizabeth's life. Uh, life, and you uh, you won't actually learn that until you play Burial at Sea. So, they're a hidden gem. Well, you want to uh, unleash the Mel? Um, I want to say one thing before we kind of get into that. That okay. one thing I loved about the Infinite is that that gave you a hint to before before you got like deep down into the the nitty gritty of all the different parallel universes before it was really revealed in game. If you're going around you can notice that the music playing throughout the whole entire game in infinite is actually muse songs from the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And you sit in there and you're listening to it. And the first time you play through, I'm like, wait a minute, there's that wait, what? Because in the first in Biosho- Bioshock one, um, for the most part, they try to keep music that was kind of period. Most of the stuff they play is from the 20s and 30s um, and from the 40s. A lot of 40s and 40s music. So um, Frank Sinatra. Sinatra was more closer to the era for which that was played in, but they play a lot of Andrew's sisters, which is like from like the, the early forties. So it like, if you think about it now, it was like listening to like classic rock music, which I guess is not too, too far fetched if Rapture has been established for, you know, over 10 years, which I think, I think it was, I, I, I know anyways. So, but like, um, but like specifically with infinite, um, I loved that little, that little bit of, of, information that they gave you that was very subtle because the way they delivered the music was very true to that time period of the 19 1912 um but it's with lyrics that people would know so if you go back and listen to the soundtrack it's it's a great it's a great listen um and definitely if you go through because a lot of times when you're playing infinite you don't really pay attention too much of the music because you just kind of read it as background music you're like oh yeah background music um but pay attention to it and i want to say there were some other things too on that were on billboards and signs and stuff that were kind of like wait what are you talking about so um yeah that was one thing that i i loved i loved about infinite in general so I say we talk about the fashion. The fashion? Where do you want me to start? I don't I don't know. This is this is your specialty. 
Um, Jeez. I, I, I was going through some of it, going back through through the, the fashion stuff again. Um, and I, for me, Bioshock 1 always has been and will be my favorite game. And when, when you look at that, you can, and before you even really know what had occurred, um, that that was during, during the New Year celebration, but when you first start seeing splicers, what's the first thing you notice besides their awful gross, disgusting, bloody selves, is um, that they're wearing formal wear. Almost all of the the people in, Biosho- in Norm- Bioshock 1 are wearing formal wear. They have their masks on, which adds this... When you first think about, oh, it's a sense of creepy element, but you can tell that when this um, occurred, when um, the, the whole entire, I guess rupture between um, when Fontaine came out and you, you know, pretty much Andrew Ryan, whatever you want to call him, you know, released everything that this was in the middle of obviously a big event. Um, but, um, but yeah. And, and I, I can't, I, it's hard to go into this one cause they don't really go too much into, to the fashion and the costuming for a lot of this stuff. Um, I think I think if anyone you can go a little bit more into is um, Elizabeth and Booker because I feel like they did spend a little bit more time because at that point the stories were much more established and they had a lot more to work on. Because um, if you look at Blue mentioned it earlier, if you look at the actual colors and style and silhouette of Elizabeth and her original in in the the outfit that she picked up that was quote unquote her mom's um which is the long blue skirt the white corset and then like the blue um bolero it's the exact same type of style as the little sisters um the white that's in her outfit is the same proportion for which the little sisters outfits are on too. So like you have the bib and then, then you have the apron. It's the same proportion. Um, and even have it down to like just the color of the hair and everything. So like when you, if, if you notice that, then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute here. So um, that's pretty interesting. And I like the fact that um, with Elizabeth, when she has the mom's outfit on that they specifically chose a corset that has, has lines in it um, for a sense that when you think of corsets, you think of them as, as kind of something that contains you that cages you. And what is Elizabeth? She's just something that is contained within these different, you know, realities. Like out of anyone, I feel like Elizabeth, I mean, I guess Elizabeth has the most choice out of, out of everyone doing, being able to do her tears and stuff. Um, but yeah, um, I'm trying to to go mentally over the rest of them in my mind as we're going here. Um, Booker, Booker's kind of interesting, um, especially when you first see Booker. Um, when you just look at that cover of of him, you can tell that he is someone that maybe isn't the best of guys, um, just by his demeanor. I mean. Uh, his sleeves are rolled up and is signifying that obviously he's going to get down and dirty with something. You know, he's a man using his hands. Um, his jacket is not buttoned at all. And he, so like, if you think about it, like when you look at most of the people within Columbia, and even if you look at um, the main, uh, the Andrew Ryan, yeah, Andrew Ryan's the main 
the main guy um, that runs Rapture. Yes. His jacket is buttoned. And you can see that, you know, like they're all very well put together. And by just the simple fact of it having an unbuttoned shirt kind of gives you the, the, the sense of that he's not necessarily as rigid. Um, he's a little bit more free from, a little bit more of an open person. Um, let's see. Um, especially, um, again, remember how we were talking the last time about um, Riddick, we were talking about Riddick, how he has stuff wrapped around his hands. Booker has that. Um, and within the Bioshock series, you're looking at your players, the 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 people, the person you're playing, either Booker or Jack's hands, almost the whole entire game. Like that's what you see, and you see the wrapped hands um, to hide his his branding of AD on himself. Um, but you kind of at first you think about, okay, this guy he 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 looks a little disheveled. His hair is a mess. His sleeves are rolled up. He has obviously his hands are really messed up. So you get the sense of that he's just um, not really, not really with it. You know, like as when you, it was a contrast. If you look at Andrew Ryan um, or even Comstock, they're very, they have a nice suit on. Everything's clean. Everything's buttoned. Everything matches. Nothing on Booker's outfit matches. I mean, he has striped pants with a blue vest with a pattern, like with detail on it, and then a black shirt and a red tie. Like that is, it works in a weird, strange way, but it's not something that you wear together. So, um, but yeah, um, that's kind of the basics um, that I kind of wanted to go over in terms of, of their fashion. Their costumes aren't crazy in depth, which is fine. Um, it's not like there's a lot of like other things hanging off of them and stuff. Um, but um, but yeah, do you have any other things that you guys want to add that you've noticed on on their outfits and you're just like, hey, Mel, what do you think that's there? So... Go for it, Josh. Or Josh. <laughs> Sorry. Anyone? There we go. Person. No, I got something. I was being polite. Oh, okay. Justin. Polite. Go, Justin, go. Uh no, the, the thing that intrigues me more than anything, uh, wardrobe wise in the whole series is Big Daddy's atmospheric diving suit. And if you if you go through and do any kind of uh, research on these big atmospheric diving suits, which could weigh upwards of like six, 700 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're just so outlandish and they, they look so steampunk sci-fi just on just face value. Um, how this was the first time one of them made it in a video game is beyond me. Well, if you look at a big daddy, um, and you have to think about Rapture, like under the sea. So when when I look at the Big Daddy specifically, it makes me think of those deep sea creatures that are just over the top and ridiculous and scary. And what is a Big Daddy when you're playing? A whale. It's big, a whale. and scary. You know, like as soon as you hear that sound and you see those glowing eyes, you know you better hunker down for a battle. Like you better be ready. You know, so. Um, I mean, and if you look at the if you look at the Big Daddy outfits, like, yeah, obviously it goes under the sea, but it's very also reminiscent. I feel of like space as well. Um, so when you think of, and also space is a very scary place, and it, it's based one of our few frontiers that humans haven't discovered that in the very bottom of the sea. So 
I can definitely understand why they pull in a lot of, of things that are reminiscent of deep of like spacesuits um, and then putting in the deep sea touches as well. I mean, but, I mean, you can think you look at, look at a normal standard big daddy with a Rand helmet and the glowing, what is it? Balls eyes, I guess you can see. And mm-hmm. then the giant drill. <laughs> the, I the mean, drill was, I was going to say, it was like, <laughs> if nothing else, run away from that. So, so are right. we thinking that that's, that's a uh, task functional. Oh no, it's, it is. It is. Yeah, they they actually were the they were the builders of, of Rapture. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're mm-hmm. uh, they're basically they were, they go outside. When you when you play Burial at Sea episode one, you actually see a Big Daddy on the outside. Uh, he's drilling into the bedrock, or he's drilling into the seafloor, uh, and then he he pulls a Batman and he shoots the drill across. Uh, to a uh, an underwater cliff and he swings to another side of the city <laughs> to continue his job because you know he's uh he's batman by day and big daddy by night <laughs> and i think it's interesting the if we're going to talk about big daddy specifically the evolution of them because if you look at um one of the other ones the the early versions of the big daddies that actually look more the like alphas yeah yeah they look yeah. more like deep deep uh, deep god of words i'm stumbling over them deep sea deep divers thank you that's what i was trying to say they actually look i like they i mean he has both of his hands the helmet and the body the whole entire build and silhouette of those are much more human in shape whereas the big daddy you see in bioshock one he's very disproportionate and mm-hmm. he's looming he's huge you know like you have this huge like I, I I can't I don't remember specifically off the top of my head, but he he has this huge back to him, almost like a Quasimodo. If he if Quasimodo took steroids and like had some type of weird thing going on with him, I mean, and then he the fact that he doesn't have a hand, everything about the Big Daddy in one tells you that this is some type of creature. It's some, it's supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be a monstrous. Um, whereas if you look at the, the Deltas, I mean, yeah, they're a little bit more like ominous, but they're not, you don't see them as something that's going to mess you up. You see, okay, deep sea diver. Whereas you look at the big daddy, just the way he's structured and the way that he's holding himself and whole and whatnot signifies that he's there to mean business, you know? So, um, but, but yeah. I like the big dice are fun. Um, trying to pull up a picture of the big sisters. You guys have anything to add? Well, let's let's not forget that there there are several different types of big daddies. There um, are. the the bouncer, which is the one that we see with the drill. That's probably that's the most I'm known. To. Yeah, yeah. That's you know that's the uh, that's the nightmare provoking image of the big daddies. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Alpha series that, like Mel said. Looks very typical of a deep sea diver. Uh, you have the Rosies, which are the ones that carry a rivet gun. Uh, mm-hmm. They also have their two hands. There's one more that has like a grenade launcher on his on his shoulder, and that's one of the ones from Bioshock Two that I never really remember his name. Um, but they are they are designed differently, um, and they they were actually uh, or, or each of their features were actually. Uh, for practical use, not for what they end up being in Bioshocks one and two. But if you, if you buy the Bioshock collection, uh, Bioshock one comes with an end game museum that has concept art. Um, and that has in game statues, uh, 
of uh, what the concept renderings would have been for Big Daddies, for uh, Splicers, for Sea Slugs, and all that stuff. So you could see, uh, you could have a better understanding of what the evolution, uh, uh, de- uh, development-wise, was of the Big Daddies, um, which I actually thought was kind of interesting. I, I haven't spent a lot of time in the museum of the game, but when I first looked through it, I... Uh, it's a little bit easier to understand how each Big Daddy functions and what what the Big Daddies might have originally been thought mm-hmm. of as being. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of just growing to be these, uh, not to throw in Destiny here, but to be these guardians of children. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of like you know, again, going to Destiny, the Vex. You know, they're designed with a specific purpose, but they can also mess stuff up. Yeah. And uh, and just, I mean, a, a bit off topic, but even just the dynamic of the Big Daddies and Little Sister, Songbird and Elizabeth. Um, and wow, I'm going to go back into the multiverse theory. But um, <laughs> how how. Okay, how Big Daddy's imprinted on the Little Sisters. I always forget how that, which is oh, which. Yeah. Um, but the 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 imprinting that goes on between Big Daddy's and Little Sisters, it happens in different ways, uh, depending on what game you're playing, which, again, after you've played Bioshock Infinite, means depending on what reality you're in, the imprinting process happened differently. They always result in Su Chong dying because he's an idiot, but I'll be well. Um, in one reality, it deals with pheromones. This is the reality of Bajok 1. Um, it, it, there's a, a pheromone-type plasmid that the little sisters naturally give off. So the big daddies are drawn to them. They're drawn to protecting them, so on and so forth. Uh, when you play... When you play Bioshock 2, you actually learned that... Uh, and all the Big Daddies are, are actual people that were grafted into these suits of... Into these diving suits. That... Whatever. Um, but you learned that Delta Delta's relationship with Eleanor seems to go beyond uh, any pheromone or any sort of plasmid. It, it does seem like a like a true parental bond. I cannot say that word. Um, But then in Bioshock Infinite, you see that the imprinting process is very much like what happened with Elizabeth Songbird. Songbird was injured. Elizabeth healed Songbird. I mean, it's it's pulling a splinter out of a a lion cub. Uh, And after that, Songbird had this natural affinity towards Elizabeth to keep her safe. And that happens in Burial at Sea Part 2, where Su-Chan seems to think it's a genetic issue, uh, because he learns of he learns of this girl in Columbia, happens to be Elizabeth, who imprinted on a being not unlike the Big Daddies, and he thinks that by using her hair, he can correct the process. And Elizabeth simply learns that uh, the big daddies need the little sisters, excuse me, to survive if they're ever injured. So this big daddy, uh, I forget exactly what happens, but he's leaned up against a wall. He must have 
gotten into some sort of altercation with someone and the little sister injects adam into him and from then on out the big sister uh the big daddy remains her guardian remains that little sister's guardian until whatever happens to her in that reality um so yeah that's my brain hurts again (laughs) (laughs) the the um the other thing I was going to say real quick is the the detail that they've put into the plasmid containers for Bioshock. I remember those being really amazing. Um, and plasmids, you know, plasmids are the supernatural capabilities that Adam powers uh, in the game. And, or, well, in Bioshock. That's in Bioshock One and Bioshock Two. Plasmids are the supernatural ability. In uh, Infinite, it's Vigors. Vigors, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think and I there's mean, there's actually a lot more plasmids in Bioshock One because the gene tonics are plasmids. They're just not called plasmids outright. They're passive plasmids, whereas plasmids are active. You you know you get to okay. control them, right. and use them. Yeah, and I mean, and so like that's that's another element of like the science fiction esque thing that goes on in Bioshock is that we you do have capabilities that are not just technological in nature. You actually kind of have a supernatural ability, you know, like the pheromone. <laughs> I guess they all technically are kind of. I guess it's just it's literally supernatural. It's it's a it's a natural thing that's taken to a next level via the atom. well it's it's it, well it's a play off of of dna splicing i mean that's why they're right. called splicers and the adam is spelled adam like the name a-d-a-m which is if you think about it, is kind of ironic because you think of adam and eve and all that wonderful jazz so they're trying to circumvent the actual evolution of a human so i've always liked that type of play that the, the game had so but um this is, I'm pretty sure that that's why they're called they're called splicers from gene mm-hmm. splicing. Yeah, no, it essentially is. to make because um the idea of plasmids was originally to like that whole entire like how we have plastic surgery make yourself better make your ideal self greater like most of the um, when you're walking through Rapture you see the advertisements for a lot of the actual plasmids wow. the advertisements they're, are so good they're, they're so great they're so, good. They're, they're so outrageous and with they, Adam there's no reason not to be beautiful right and that's the that's the type of tone that a lot of those advertisements have for these plasmids that are obviously dangerous. You know, like the bees. I want to say the bees had were one for like are you useless? You're, are useless in game, but are like useless. <laughs> but like I've never touched the bees. I didn't either. No, I I like the fire a lot. Man, winter, incinerate, and electroshock. Yep. Yep. So, but like, uh, but yeah, like the, the, the B one, I specifically have this memory, like, Oh, are your friends buzzing around you? Are your workmates bothering you? Don't be afraid to unleash swarm on them. And I'm just like, wow, you know? So, but, um, another thing I want to note with, with 
the Bioshock series is the era for which they, they decided to have this game take place. Um, if you think about America and most people, most of the time when people think when America was quote unquote at its peak and the best time, the ideal time for, for a lot of things, you see a lot in fallout too. They pick this era right in right after world war two and that little happy little era of the 1950s, um, late forties before the sixties and a lot of the civil unrest that happened in the U S happened. And it, a lot of times when people reflect, they're like, Oh, this is the, this is the ideal time. And you see that a lot um, within, within the Bioshock specifically Bioshock. And I always thought it was an interesting time that they had picked um, to, to kind of have this whole entire story unfold. Granted Bioshock or Rapture was created um, probably in the 1920s, based on the architecture for which that the game takes place in, right? Right, Demi? Is did they ever give a specific time date for when Rapture was created? I want to say they do. Well, I I know the city the city had been active for about a decade before the civil war within the city occurred. Yeah. So it would have needed to have been built at least around the thirties. Well, okay. No, I, uh, I got and, it. Yep. No, Andrew, Andrew Ryan. Well, well, the reason why Andrew Ryan even leaves America and has this whole hidden city built is because of the creation of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. So it actually, it, it would have to have been in the 40s yeah it would have to have been in the 40s then yeah which which, which would make it a very yeah. quick build to build an entire city at the bottom of the atlantic and then have it going for about a decade yeah so that's that's weird because a lot of the the architecture um throughout the whole entire game, game is art deco which is circa 1920s 1930s so that was always the feel i got even knowing the time it came uh, knowing yeah. the time period you're playing in. Yeah. And a lot of the, the attire that they're wearing is stuff circa the 40s. It's 40s attire, which would make sense because if they actually went down in the 40s, then they wouldn't have known about the styles and stuff that were going on in the 50s. Yes. I, I would imagine so. I mean, maybe they do, um, but I imagine they kind of sealed themselves off from all type of influence from the surface well, that, world. That's that's a lot of uh, a lot of what the issue in the storyline is, is that there, there was this embargo and Fontaine was uh, actively going against Andrew Ryan's embargo rules and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I mean, I guess if we start thinking about timelines and the fact that it's a multi-universe, it's very possible that it was built prior at some point. I don't know. We can, According according to the game, it was. I'm looking at it right now. It was established on November fifth, nineteen forty six, and finished in the late nineteen fifty one. Apparently, we even know the wow. actual geographical location. It's in the Atlantic, right? Uh, yeah, sixty three yeah. degrees something something. Yeah, it, well, it's we, basically, would, we would need to know because of how the game starts. Right. It's just west of Iceland's capital. Let's just go with that. That's easier. Okay. That's really easy. And you know what? Given given the the, the Eureka like 
presence of the like, Eureka being the sci-fi show. Uh, they had you know oh, all these yeah. top scientists and everything. It does kind of make sense that they would have a city built underwater in such a short period of time. Well, and they had big daddies. Oh yeah, and you know you yeah you, know, you got big daddies. I mean, because that was you it's, know like you said, that well, was kind of the as, as they're as they're drilling outside, recording whale audio. So oh, that they can as they're well, out. it's also possible if we're dealing with multi-universe theories, just like what happened in Infinite, they could have gone in the future and taken technology and stuff that wasn't developed and brought it back to this time period and then use it used it in Bioshock One. Hence why it was built so fast and beyond the abilities of technology that was available in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Time travel <laughs> yeah, messes there, everything up. Yeah. There's, there's some evidence for that in bio, in Burial T Episode 2. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because yeah. don't, doesn't, inf- uh, what is it? Because uh, Jer- Jeremiah Fink from Infinite, Fink and Sushan. He, he goes, yeah, Fink goes at some point to rapture and he steals a lot of Suchong's work. <laughs> Suchong is a, is aware of some sort of cross dimensional travel. And so he tries to peer into that. Yeah. It, so it, it gets messy fast. Yeah. It's great. It's great, <laughs> but it gets really messy. And Oh man, I want to go back and play it, but I really just want to kind of isolate myself and not think about the multi-dimension theory <laughs> now. And just well, I, go back. I played, it, I played it last summer, and playing it, I was I had like the idea I was going to do like all the uh, oh, oh what is it all the silent movies or whatever I was going to do all the box phones and all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is this is the ho- what is going on again? Like why? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Why am I here? Why are you old? Why are you sending me back in time again? <laughs> By the way, how how do you know to send me to this reality where this is gun? I, why is why are they playing Revenge of the Jedi? I thought that was like you know rescripted to be Return of the whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're like just send me to Rapture and let me live in Rapture, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? If I if I had like ten hours of playing in Rapture at its height, where it was a beautiful city, because that's the greatest part about Burial at Sea Episode One. Oh it's, yeah, it's not actually the story that you're playing; it's that you're seeing Rapture at its height, and you almost feel complete and utter sorrow for what happens to the city. Forget the people in the city, because Sander Cohen could still do several things with his life, but. <laughs> It's a beautiful it city. I, I'm trying not to. <laughs> I totally, no, no, no edits, that, no edits in, this, in this episode. <laughs> you but, No, I totally agree. Like, oh. uh, that when I went back and we were actually able to see Rapture, what it looked like in its prime, I I didn't, that that starting area where, you know, you have Conan and stuff like that, I didn't want to leave. And I'm like, no, because I'm going to go someplace and it's going to be awful and there's civil war and people are going to die and this beautiful city <laughs> that's, that's is the gone. First time, that's the first time where I see a Houdini and i not like running the stick all over the place trying to find where this guy is because I know he's going to start throwing fire. I, right. I've, I've been replaying Bioshock 1 recently and I've always, I've always remembered I'm going to get to Arcadia and I'm going to, there's going to be some guy who's going to be like, Hey kid, want some candy? And it's going to disappear in front of me and it's going to come up behind me. Mm-hmm. Never fails. 
this guy says, hey, kid, want some candy? And I'm like, sure, where are you going, man? <laughs> oh so when you, when you play Burial at Sea and the waiter is a Houdini and you're like, you know what? The city was for a time as utopian as a place can be. These, these plasmids were not damaging the people. They had pragmatic use. People were, people were living they were living the lives they wanted you know regardless of of what they didn't read in their contracts and you know how their life will uh, what we know will turn out they were living a dream and it it looks fantastic yeah and so when you get to the part of episode one where you have to leave that it's really you're never going back to that scene again mm-hmm. i deep down inside for years i wanted a game that was like sims for rapture where i could just go to rapture make my little person and like walk around and like talk to people and like just explore the whole entire city of rapture i talked to everyone i talked to everyone in episode one yeah oh i did too i spent (laughs) way more time i think there was a point where i was just standing there and just in awe i'm like i don't want to (laughs) leave but see the interesting part about the sims game is that that point at which the civil war starts and your character has to figure out what to do but see it would just be a forever actual (laughs) utopia and there would be no civil war you would just be forever living in that era right before the civil war so so fun fact if you if you never did it the multiplayer for bioshock 2 actually takes place during the civil war yep so when when you're first making your profile for the uh for the multiplayer it's as if you're at the the restaurant right before all the shooting breaks out and you're hearing Andrew Ryan over the TV and then you have the police standby come up and then you're actually a participant. So the entire multiplayer is as if you are, uh, you are participating in the conflict on new year's Eve, which I think is actually a neat way to sort of tie in everything of Bioshock one and two and all the story that we know of, but didn't get to play. So, so yeah, so we, it looks like we covered a lot of this stuff. Do, do you, do you, Blue or Demi, do you have anything else that we want to add to, to our Bioshock discussion? Uh, I, Parts only, you liked? The only thing I remember, the only, the only important thing I remember about Bioshock 2 is that Morla did have voice acting in it. Oh my Lord. <laughs> That's all I got. She, the reason the reason I bring that up is because you were talking about the multiplayer, and I think that I, if I remember, that's she was one of the female characters. So, well, the multiplayer wasn't it. It wasn't. It probably wasn't bad when it was in its heyday. Mm, yeah, but now, but, 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 <laughs> but when was. I went into it, it yeah. still wasn't so bad. It was actually a lot of fun during its heyday. I I played it for a bit. My boyfriend played it quite a bit more than I did because I wasn't a very multiplayer person. Um, but it was pretty fun at the time when people were actually playing on a consistent basis. It was pretty fast paced. Um, yeah, and it, and really it almost cool made to see you, air, different areas. It almost made you think that Big Daddies weren't as overpowered as they seem in the story because 
uh, I think only one person ever gets to be a big daddy throw, or or it's like one person per team ends up being mm-hmm. a big daddy at several points throughout the game, yeah. and they're they're not so difficult. I mean, the the applications of plasmids even change, uh, so you could have like shock traps that are left behind, which I think is great, and uh, it's one of those things where you actually kind of wanted those things to be in the story mm-hmm. or, or be in, be in the, the, yeah, the story of the game because it might not have had Bioshock two seem like a carbon copy. Um, if you just have the same things over and over again, if there was even a little change to the mechanics that would have made it seem different, but, uh, it wasn't bad. You know, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was fun. You have to also choose what type of character you could be. So you could be actually one of the the people that were with Andrew Ryan and against the revolution of the working class. Oh, or wow. you could be with um, Fontaine and you could be like, no, we're against this. You're going down. So I, I just think I remember there was one, there was like, you could choose a guy that was like really overweight and had like gold rings on. And then like one of the girls had like a fur coat on and stuff. And, and I believe all the characters are named too. And I think, I think maybe one or two of them might've even shown up in the lore at some point from the video record or the audio recordings or something like that. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think if if uh, if Mel is is done with her costume analysis and fabric theories, uh, kind of. I wanted to touch just briefly on the big sister because um, I feel like the big sister's design is really interesting. Um, the big sisters within the lore are little sisters that have gone through puberty, but the atom and the plasmids and stuff like that has really messed them up. Um, and they kind of serve this, a similar function of the big daddy in the sense of that they're there to protect the little sisters and they're very terrifying and they have Give like a deep, heart attacks. They do. And they move fast. Let me tell you how fast they move. <laughs> this is okay. So, okay. So you know how you play Bioshock one, you hear a whale noise, you know, at some point in that level, you're going to see a big daddy. That's mm-hmm. fine. It's not a problem. When you play Bioshock 2, once you've either saved or harvested enough little sisters, it's like the precursor to Omnigal Scream <laughs> that just appears throughout the entire and you know you're going to get assaulted. Now the cool thing about the cool thing about uh the Big Daddy gameplay in Bioshock 2 is that you have a couple traps as your weapons. So I just start setting up tripwires all around me and I just wait in the corner until they come to me. <laughs> I just because there's there's no, there's no way you're going to you're going to survive a one on one comp. You fight big daddies <laughs> as a big the daddy in a That's fetal f- position, just rocking. <laughs> no, no but you gotta you gotta remember, I'm wearing my full alpha suit and I'm in the corner, and you don't. You, there's actually like no tears, so the little light bulbs just keep changing different colors. <laughs> They keep going from like a really deep navy to like a really sad sky blue. So I know I'm about to be assaulted, and there's no way to get out of it. No. It's like like when you play Burial at Sea Part Two, you know that the entire which is just a small tangent. The entire gameplay for Burial at Sea Part Two is all based on stealth, and it is fantastic. Everything oh, yeah, that Elizabeth, yeah, right. everything yeah. Elizabeth gets to use. 
the crossbow, the the I believe the bullets in her pistol and all that stuff, they're all stealth based. You have knockout gas, you have stun bolts, all these different things. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But in that game, there's absolutely no way to fight a big daddy, uh, big daddy, because the moment uh, it even becomes aware of your presence, it kills you, and you have no way of combating. That's kind of how it felt when I was playing Bioshock Two against the big sister. Especially <laughs> once you get to like the last couple levels where there's like two of them at the same time, it's terrible. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's always there's always like that boss or that encounter that really never wants you uh makes you want to play a game again. It's all the big sisters. <laughs> Maybe that's why I rage quit that game. You're like, I'm done. I'm <laughs> done. I'm done. I actually didn't finish. I was at the like very end of Bioshock 2 and I was just so you know what? I'm fed up with this game. I'm done. And I turned it off and I never went back to finished playing it. So it's a miracle. I actually picked up Bioshock Infinite after my Bioshock 2 experience. So, but, um, but yeah, like the little sisters, um, just real quick. Um, when you look at them, they have um, a bunch of things that look like straight jackets on them, which obviously signifies, okay, they're crazy, which obviously they are. Um, and then they, I, the, the, their little cages on the back, which when you look at it, is, is you don't really understand what they're there for, but they're there to actually transport little sisters. Um, and they have these cute little bows on them. So it's it's a weird juxtaposition between this very ominous, bright, singular eye staring at you with a harpoon gun and a giant atom needle coming out of their arm. Um, and then you have these this little cage in the back with bows. So, <laughs> um, and it's weird because when... In, Besides the fact they're called a little sister, if you look at it, you don't really fully pick up that it's supposed to be a female until there's the, the bows. So that bows help you kind of establish, like, okay, this is supposed to be female. Um, and then a lot of the the concept art for the earlier big sisters actually had them wearing corsets, which is another um, type of indicator of something that is contained, that is under servitude. And a lot of the the designs with on the big sister indicates that as well, just with all the belts and buckles. Um, and it's interesting that they have these, the bracers on for like when, when the you, legs. kids were, yeah. Yeah. So it's like to help that, you yeah. walk. Yeah. So, and it's interesting that they have those on um, to, to show like, you that they that they're they're growing I, I don't know it's it's an interesting design um i like a lot of it but um those are the things that kind of stood out for me so yeah uh just another thing you said the bow and i you had me thinking um the little sisters themselves actually see rapture in a completely different way mm-hmm. i, I they do. remember that yeah which is which you don't you don't know this when you play bioshock one and again Thinking about it further, uh, in Bioshock 1, you end the game off by becoming a big daddy, which is like a hint to, hey, this is what you're going to do in Bioshock 2. Um, But yeah, they see see this world in uh, this rosy floral colors, these reds and these bright oranges. Uh, The big sisters look like princesses to them. Splicers look pretty much how they how they were i guess before 
uh, the disaster that took place in Rapture, they all look like proper gentlemen, proper ladies. Uh, Big daddies look like knights. I mean, it's it's really amazing which when one, you're. Which one's the angels? Is that the dead splicers? Or they're animals? the dead bodies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is it's something said at the very beginning of the first game. Oh God, that's so creepy. When you when you run into, uh, when you, I think you're like knocked off a knocked off a railing or something. And you land on the bottom and a little sister walks up to you with a bouncer and she's like, look, there's an angel. And then she's like, oh, he's not an angel yet. <laughs> one like, day, oh God. one day he's going to be an angel. There's and you're like, angel. please, no, nope. I'd rather not. It's actually nothing that makes me want to be that. Just Which, say. you know, given, given the burial at sea with the dimensions, ah. Uh, they could be perceiving a different dimension entirely. Especially if you consider if the, she's a little sister is supposed to be Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Or Elizabeth clones or, splice, yeah. or splinters of Elizabeth Some or something of, like that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Because I think that was the, the other thing that I was going to say when you said that the big sisters originally had uh, the corsets. You know, well, Elizabeth has the corset as well. Which was another tie-in there as well. Oh, another thing that was actually kind of creepy at the beginning of Burial at Sea Episode 1 is you see all the little girls that would turn Mm -hmm. into little Mm -hmm. sisters. Well, because isn't Burial at Sea, Burial at Sea was looking for one of them. Wasn't Sally? Yeah, but what what you're seeing is you're seeing the... The process at which these little girls actually uh actually become little sisters in in terms of their mentality and so on and so forth. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But if you want a really creepy scene, it's that scene in the beginning of episode 2 <laughs> where you're chasing down Sally through, you know, the the streets of Paris and she turns up behind you. Which by the way, the jump scares in BioShock, I'm I'm not a person who can play these type of games where uh, where there's jump scares, <laughs> I don't do. I don't do well. I can so, watch. So what I'm hearing films. is we should put a webcam up and make Demigod play this on stream. Yeah, I, I don't. I can. I can do horror films, but when you're playing a game, it's. I mean, oh it's, no! It, I, that's, I that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, so the first time I played Burial at Sea episode two, I'm chasing this little girl down Paris, and I see visually. The scene starts changing. There's fog. It gets dark. I end up in a whatever a furnace room, and I turn around and she's gone full little sister, and she's staring me in the eye like Damien. And I'm like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and it happens. It happens several times uh, because the character of Sander Cohen loves to do that to you in Bioshock's One and uh, in Buriotsi. Uh, as I was replaying it. There is, uh, there's a part in Bioshock One where you enter uh, a dentist's office, and as you walk in, the entire place gets iced over. And when it clears oh, out, yeah, you see you see a corpse on 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 one of the one of the beds. I said, eh, don't worry about. I just keep walking. I go to a desk. I start no. picking things up. <laughs> no, it gets it gets fogged over again, and I'm like. Okay, I guess I'm going to walk over and I'm going to see that that guy's no longer on the bed anymore. I turn around and this thing is right in front of me. 
don't you know that if there's a dead body, if there's a, a thing laying on the ground like a, an enemy, you always double tap that right away. Well, no, okay, okay, okay. I know that happens later on in the game because later on in the there's always like these fake corpses that when you walk by them they get up not the same thing no he literally just appeared out of thin he got the lutessis ripped him from one reality to the next because it happens in burial at sea part one i think or something like that where you look into one of the video screens and you see that sander cohen purposely messed with it and then at the end of it there's like a little sign on the video screen that says turn around. I should not have turned around. That was the worst experience of my life. So so basically they're weeping angels. <laughs> you blinked. I would rather I would rather they be weeping angels. I'd rather a lot of things from Doctor Who be be there instead of Sander Cohen and his freaking trickery. This is not fun. Give me Mummy on the Orient Express. Don't give me that. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> well, very cool. So do we want to wrap up? A yeah, let's book? let's go to shout outs real fast. Do we got you want to you want to lead us? Uh, sure. So uh, just uh, first, I just want to give a shout out to my raid group. Uh, Damo, Laura, Josh, Justin, Bryce. You guys are hilarious. Um. And also, this might be a shameless plug, but not really. Um, I contribute weekly haikus to a podcast focused on uh, J.R.R. Tolkien called the Token Road Podcast. So if you guys want to listen to that, uh, the hosts are very friendly, very nice. Um, uh, they give very layman's reviews of chapters from The Lord of the Rings and uh other works that uh other works by tolkien so if you guys want to listen to that podcast you guys want to hear my haikus because i don't know why i started doing haikus for them but they were like hey want to have your haikus on the air sure why not <laughs> um and i did get interviewed by them once they're they're very nice people so if you guys want to listen to that if you there's any token enthusiast uh amongst you guys then please oh, check yeah. them out that's awesome um and you got any get anything else or that it nope that about it perfect well uh for me i just wanted to give a big shout out and a big congratulations to morla she uh she was allowed to let everyone know that um she has a part in the a new game called the house of the dying sun she's actually if i remember this correctly She's the female pilot voice part of it, and it looks really cool. So you guys should definitely check that out. Um, it's uh, it's kind of an indie game. Uh, if it's, I think it's an indie developer out of Seattle who actually used to be at Bungie. If I want, if I'm uh, remembering that correctly, um, but he, the guy has been working on this game for a, a pretty long time. Uh, it's yeah, indie developer Marauder Games. Um, so check that out. House of the Dying Sun looks really, really cool. It's kind of like a, a space flight ish thing. I don't, I don't. It, it's an indie game. Uh, there's not really an easy way to describe it that I've come up with just yet. So, but that's that's my big shout out for this one. And then of course, you know, thank you so much, Demi, for jumping on and also you know just for all the i call him i call him our resident expert because he pretty much led the chat this month um 
for any that's the thing about the extra lore games is you know some of us especially me i i i have games that i'm very knowledgeable on and then if they don't fall within that purview i might be able to do decent on them like i can summarize them fine but you know i don't really know i don't know enough to lead chat so like you know bioshock was definitely one of those and so i really appreciate people when really just am thankful that people step up like you did and um again next month's chat is going to be over borderlands if you have any interest in that entire series which is a crazy series yes um, <laughs> i'm very excited tiny tina tiny tina can turn <laughs> you you might get in trouble with one of your raid your raid mates I've, I've teased i've teased damel so much every raid night so oh, we, we teased i'm surprised i'm not off yet <laughs> <laughs> but uh if you guys are have any interest in borderlands in you know the story um which is again just a crazy crazy funny you know fun story but also really detailed um feel free to jump in the discord it's in the the we have an entire extra lore channel built out for that um no, I've, I've noticed that people are very excited about that. And I'm, I'm hoping that we have a good conversation next month as well. So that's my, uh, that's my shout outs. And I'm going to hand it over to Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, wanted to thank Demi for coming on and completely schooling me in Bioshock. Um, I think I will probably pick up the collection and, and, uh, see what it's all about if I can get some time. But, uh, yeah, and a big shout out to my my crew that I run with, DoD Chatter White Crew, um, and uh, just a blue and Mel for just uh, keeping the ship afloat while I'm working 148 hours a week. So, way to go, guys! <laughs> and then Mel, which what do you got for us? I really don't have much this week. Um, just a big shout out. Thank you for having for joining us. Um, because my my remembrance of Bioshock it wasn't as great, um, but thank you for joining us to to help with that. And uh, yeah, and then just off, off again, Blue. I always want to give shout outs to Blue because he does an amazing job keeping stuff running smoothly, despite <laughs> Justin and I sitting here <laughs> trying. To- this is this is like this episode has been the pre-show for this episode. We. Oh God! They, they I'm really surprised you me. survived. I'm surprised. I was getting yelled at by chat <laughs> that I needed to breathe because I was laughing so hard. Um, so definitely, definitely, if you guys get a chance, and, and you know the outro, we'll talk about it too. But definitely show up for one of the live streams if you can, because you know all that gets obviously edited out uh, just for the podcast on Podbean and you know iTunes and all that. So for the shenanigans, both pre and post show. Um, check out the Twitch account. Is what I'm gonna say with that one. Um, and I guess if that's if that's all you guys got, we good. Yeah. Nope. All right. Well, well, thank you again. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. 
Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend the evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Thank you again, Demigod, for jumping into the chat. We really appreciate having you as a part of the chat. And like I said, we're going to need to get you back on sometime soon please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through that email as well. We do try to stream a recap of the month-long Extra Lore conversations in the first week of each month, but if we have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at focusfirechat. Also, be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So, until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright. <laughs>